Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. You're New York Sports Talk, long suffering fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We're going to catch up on the other New York football team. You know, the Giants won this week. We'll get to them in a bit, and we'll talk about the Giant game as well. We're going to do some Jet talk today because Jets have some news flowing around them with the quarterback situation, offensive coordinator stuff. We're going to be joined by Justin Free of the Jet Press. Have a good chat on the Jets. Talk about that with Justin in just a bit. Also do our divisional round picks with Joey Castellano in just a little bit. Joey obviously not thrilled his Viking loss to the Giants this week, but we're going to make the picks. We're going to talk about what went wrong for the Vikings, all that coming up at the end in the pick segment here. Make sure you lock in the show for this week's two-minute drum. I'm going to give you a my review of the first episode of Breakpoint, the tennis docuseries on Netflix. I'm very pumped about. I think you should get it out. I'll tell you why at the end of the show. Thank you here on the Justin Suffering Podcast. Feel free to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to hear your feedback and start as well. Help with the podcast even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of the conversations with Justin Freed and Joey up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We're going to... Recap Super Wildcard Weekend. Give you my thoughts on all six games. That's coming up here right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Opening tip time here, and Super Wildcard Weekend was pretty fun for the most part. Began with a dud, relatively ended with a dud, but the four games in the middle were pretty good. Start out here with the 49ers Seahawks game here. Seahawks will go chronologically, obviously. Seahawks fought hard for a half. 49ers just kicked another gear the second half. Seattle couldn't match it. 49ers blow them out. Big story of this game, in my opinion Brock Purdy kicks off his playoff to you in style. He struggles a little bit early, but you know, it's expected. Last pick of the draft, selling his first playoff game. He sells it nicely, though. He went 18-30, 332 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. There are reports out prior to the game, obviously, that the 49ers are considering making Brock Purdy their starter next year if they can't get a guy like Tom Brady. And honestly, they probably should. The dude's been clutch. He's on a rookie contract. It gives him the ability to move up on the rest of the roster here. They have already had three years of Trey Lance, not really get anywhere. And veteran backup for cheaper than Jimmy Garoppolo. You're in business over here. I think that's a good spot for the 49ers. Christian McCaffrey, difference maker. Rushed for 119 yards, 15 carries, two catches, 17 yards of the score. When you look at the skill division group here, the core weapons they have, whether it's McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, Debo, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and the defense, it's going to be hard to see who beats this team. Jaguars-Chargers game here. Simply put, this was one of the most stunning collapses in the history of the league. The Jags go down 27-0. Trevor Lawrence throwing picks all over the place. I'm tweeting, uh, oh, you know, did he swap by Zach Wilson before the game? He throws four of them in the first half, three with Sante Samuel Jr. But give the Jaguars credit. They fall back in this game. Getting that touchdown before the half, in my opinion, was huge. Because the Jaguars got some comments and said, hey, you know what? Like, 
We stabilize things here. It's only 27-7. You know, we work hard. So half the game, come back here. Also saw a masterclass of the chart how to lose the football game. Who abandoned the run because they called 25 passes against eight runs in the second half. And you're basically trusting milk in the clock. I get you were supposed to not be just turtle up here, but you got to have a more balance than that. You got a lot of stupid mistakes in here. The big one, the Joey Bosa, as far as like contact penalty, when the rest, look like they missed a false star on the Jaguars on a touchdown play. He spikes his helmet. Leads Doug Peterson to take the penalty, go to the one-yard line, and set up a two-point two conversion attempt that's a successful, and Trevor Lawrence leaps over the uh, goal line there. And they were generally concerned with the play calling, which is not great. For the guy who's uber-aggressive in Brandon Staley, and it looks like he's going to keep his job because they fire a couple coordinators and a couple coaches, staff, so he's going to stay somehow. Battles up to stunning loss in the game, where they were plus five in the turnover differential. Think about that. Plus five. The last time a team lost like that came in 1998. When you factor in here that Brandon Staley, the week before, decided to play a Stars Amigos game that cost him Mike Williams. Mike Williams ends up fracturing his back. The game we could have used Mike Williams, some of these second half pass plays here. It's amazing he's still keeping his job. This should be the Sean Payton spot. It doesn't seem that the Chargers are going to do that, which I think is a mistake on their part. Bills Dolphins will go there on Sunday now. The fact this game ended up being close is mind-boggling. We watched Skylar Thompson last week in New York play the Jets. They couldn't move the ball at all. They scored 11 points. Buffalo looked like they were going to sort of run away this game early. They jumped out 17-0. The Bills are decided to let the Dolphins hang in there by doing a bunch of stupid things in the football and being sloppy. You give Miami credit here, figuring things out defensively. They got a defensive touchdown. They got big special teams plays to make this a game. The big thing that cost Miami here was Mike McDaniel had a lot of issues calling plays. The Dolphins had to burn a lot of timeouts early in the second half because they couldn't get the playoff. They couldn't, you know, line up correctly. On the final drive of the game, they had a fourth and two play. They were doing a late personal substitution for some reason. They had a playcock reset in there. They could not get the playoff. They had to delay a game penalty. They turned fourth and two into fourth and seven. It was ends up not being converted. Bills win the game. Mike Bedell said afterwards that he thought this was a third down situation. And guess why he changed the personnel late? I remember watching the game saying, you know, why are we taking off Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle in this spot when you have to go for it all? That's bad because you're the coach. You're supposed to know the situation you're in here. This cost Miami the game in that sense, and we'll see if Mike McDaniel improves in year two. Giants, Vikings, obviously the headliner for the New York fans here. Hell of an effort for the New York football Giants this week to win this game. Daniel Jones is going to get all the headlines. He played the game of his life. He went 24-35, 301 yards, two touchdowns. Also ran 17 times, 78 yards. That man's getting paid in the winter. Whether it's by the Giants, most likely by the Giants. If not, somebody else will. He's going to get a huge contract off this game and what he's on this season. Brian Dable, again, coach of the year, in my opinion. If he's not, it's a travesty. He had a mess of game plan here against the Viking defense. The Giants had guys running open all game long. Daniel Jones made the plays he needed to make. Great job. You also got to give a ton of credit to Dory Jackson here. He shut down Justin Jefferson all day long. Jefferson had seven catches at 47 yards. And keep in mind, he had four for 31 in the first drive. The, the Giants really took him out of the game after that. And yes, TJ Hawkinson had a good day. Yes, uh, Adam Field made some big plays, but if you're saying, okay, we're not going to let Jefferson beat us, it makes it a lot hard for the Vikings to hit those chunk plays they love to make. Kirk Cousins, for the most part, played pretty well, but of course, as Kirk Cousins gave that one stupid play, it's going to cause the football game. That came late, fourth and eight. They are down by a touchdown, trying to win the game here, get, get down here, at least force overtime. He gets pressure. He dumps a three-yard pass to TJ Hawks in the game on the line. He has no chance to get the first down. The game ends. Kirk cleans out of the game. He doesn't get sacked. 
if he didn't throw the two Hawkinson right there. But you look at the tape. He had obviously scramble there and extend the play. He had opportunity, you know, keep things alive, give some receiver a chance to get up and down the field. What he did there was a give up play, and it ends up costing the Vikings here. Primetime Kirk flop in extent once again. Bengals and Ravens, you give credit to the Ravens for keeping this game close without Lamar Jackson, who remember he's still out with the knee injury. But the game ended up swinging for good when it's 17 17. Baltimore is on the two yard line. Tyler Huntley is leaving for the end zone. He ends up having the ball stripped, falls in the hands of Sam Howard for the Bengals, who sprints to the house, put the Bengals up for good, 24-17 win. The bigger story of this game, though, is Jackson. He did not travel with the team. He tweeted about his own injury to the fans, and he started explaining why he couldn't play. He got a lot of criticism from the media about, you know, oh, it's the playoffs, put a brace on it and go. It certainly feels like he's played his last game with the Ravens. Time will tell him to target by other teams. The Jets could definitely take a look at him. Other, if he becomes available, a lot of teams will go call and ball tomorrow see what the cost would be. Cowboys, Bucks, final game of the week here. This game was a bloodbath from the get-go. Dallas completely dominated Tampa. The only real intrigue of the game here was whether Brett Maher make a PAT. I think it goes 0 for 4, which is really strange. I thought at one point I was like, hey, you know, they need a new kicker after this game. You saw the difference between a 12 and 5 team and an 8 and 9 team. This game is a complete mismatch on a talent level. Tom Brady looked as bad as he ever did in the playoff game. He looks like he shot. It makes you realize. The end's probably coming quicker for him. And he said after the game, you know, I'm going to take my time thinking about it. We've heard the rumors he wants to go play another year. He could go to the Raiders, who I definitely would take him. Josh McDaniels, that whole connection with the system there. Tom Brady definitely, I think he's done in Tampa. I don't think he's going back to the Bucs. The other thing I think a note here for this game, Todd Bowles might not be a good football coach. And it's not the Jets' fault. The thing that jumps out to me specifically Fourth and three at the 50-yard line. They're down two scores early. Todd Bowles punts. You have Tom Brady as your quarterback. You need three yards. You cannot be giving up um, situations like that with a punt, especially when you have faith in your defense. They could have stopped them and hold up a field goal here. How you're punting that spot is god-awful. Not great at all. That's the wild card wrap-up here. Divisional round here. We got some interesting games here. Jaguars, Chiefs, Saturday afternoon, obviously. The Jaguar Magic Trail Sleeper continues against the Chiefs throughout the bye week. These teams played earlier in the season. Chiefs end up winning by 10. Jacksonville gained a lot more confidence since that game, though, so we will see if Trevor Lawrence is, you know, fired up here. And remember, this is a house money game for the Jags. Nobody expects them to win this game. You might see all kinds of crazy stuff being thrown at the wall by Doug Peterson. We'll see if the Chiefs are up to the talent here. Giants-Eagles, the game that the local fans are be most interested in here. I think the key to this game here is if Jalen Hurts is healthy. We saw the Giants play the Eagles twice. The first time, Jalen Hurts fully healthy. goes. They go into MetLife. The Eagles blow them out. Not even a close game, regardless. The second game, the Giants aren't playing anybody because they're locked into the sixth seed. Jalen Hurts plays hurt. He puts them up early, and they kind of ease off the gas here. Doug, I mean, Nick Sirianni said after the game, you know, like he's hurt. He's been playing hurt. We'll see what happens here. I think if Jalen Hurts is healthy, I think it's a big, difficult spot for the Giants. I think... Talent-wise, the Eagles are far superior to the Vikings. They are a much better talented team than the Giants. Brian Dable has to come up with a game plan of his life if he's going to be a fully healthy Jalen Hurts. We'll see, though, on Sunday how Hurts look. On Saturday, with Hurts looks. He's playing Saturday night that game. Sunday early, Bills-Bengals. Obviously, the game we started and never finished because of the Damar Hamlin situation. There's a little controversy on the Bengals side claiming, you know, like, why is this game in Buffalo in neutral site accommodation for the 
Bills-Chiefs situation, but the fact is, if the Bengals had beaten the Bills, this game could have been in Cincinnati. That game never got finished. Meanwhile, reason there for the Bengals. The Bills got to play a lot better than they have been the last couple of weeks. They've been a little sloppy. If the Bills are sloppy in Cincinnati, they'll lose. Simple as that. We'll see if the Bills are good there. The game of the week is obviously the last game. 49ers-Cowboys. If you're a Dallas fan, you're annoyed the Giants won because I like your chance much better being Philly than you do being San Francisco. I think this team is a wagon for the 49ers. They look like they are the team to beat. I'm going to see the defensive battle here to the Dallas defense, the 49er defense. The one that you figure the Cowboys has a quarterback where Dak should be better than Brock Purdy, but again, we'll see if they can make this moment. Remember, the Cowboys not even made the conference championship game since the late 90s. Time will tell like if this is the team that gets through it here. And you wonder here, like, does Jerry's itchy trender finger like, get pulled if they lay an egg in San Francisco? Is McCarthy in jeopardy here? You would think the the dominance they showed on Monday would be enough, but we'll see. I'm not convinced. I want to see that happens with how this game plays out. But again, four interesting games this weekend for sure. We'll get to more picks for that in a minute. We're going to talk next to Justin Freed about the Jets and sort of the, some of their offseason situations are going to set up here right after this highlight from their de- game against the Denver Broncos back in week seven, the Brees Hall long touchdown run, courtesy of CBS Sports' Iron Eagle. They're right back in this thing. Second snap for Denzel Mims. He's in there. They go to the run game. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees Lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown. All right, we are back here on the podcast. Uh, It is divisional weekend. Unfortunately, the Jets are not in again. Looks like they have a mandate to unofficially get back in the playoffs next year. Join me today to... Talk some Jets football. We talked to him prior to the season. Uh, Justin Freed of the uh, Jet Press is back with us. Justin, how are you? I'm doing all right, Mike. I appreciate you having me back on. Yeah, thanks for coming back on here. And obviously, this is a wild ride of a season for the Jets here. I mean, they start out, you know, we have the wild first three weeks of Flacco. They come back. Zach Wilson comes in. They're 5-2. and two, And then everything goes pretty much goes to hell after the Mike White return. Like, Jared, thoughts on this year and how, especially particularly how the, it ended here? Yeah, you know, it's obviously it's disappointing the way that it ended. Like you said, they started five and two, six and three, seven and four. Like everyone was thinking playoffs. There was even a point where it's like, hey, maybe they can compete for the division. Uh, and unfortunately, yeah, then it just kind of all went downhill in the second half of the year. I've been saying, I think the Jets kind of simultaneously overachieved and underachieved at the same time this year. They overachieved in the sense that they were competing for the playoffs in, you know, for the majority of the season, they they were seven and four. They were six and three. Talking of division, they were playing meaningful December and even a meaningful January game. Unfortunately, they also underachieved because even though that all happened, they still fell short of the playoffs. They lost their last six games of the year, and really, th- this team should have been in the playoffs. Like this was a playoff caliber roster. Unfortunately, they just you know had a, a letdown at the quarterback position, amongst other things that that prevented them from reaching it. So it's a disappointing end to the year, but. Overall, I think you can say the season was a success. Was a success, but you know, it's it's one of those where again, I, I think they overachieved and underachieved at the same time. Yeah, I mean for sure. I mean, if you told us back in back in like August, we're talking here, like, oh, you know, they'll be seven and ten, but they'll be right in the hunt at the end of the season. You're gonna say, great, I was signing for this right now. But when you go seven and four and lose six straight, how does that change the, how the taste feels a little bit? Exactly, and of course, you know, you, you throw in that Zach Wilson kind of just completely failed in his second year as the Jets quarterback. I think that also, you know, weighs into the fact that, you know, even if they did finish 7-10 and lost their last six games, if Zach Wilson had showed promise, it'd be a very different narrative than it is now. 
It absolutely is here. And obviously, you know, when you go from seven and four and in a locked playoff spot, seven, ten out of it, Woody Johnson's not going to sit here and let that go idly by. And somebody paid the price in the form of Mike LaFleur being let go. It was a mutual decision, according to the team, where he had opportunities to let it pursue them here. Do you think this was the correct decision to let LaFleur go after this year? See, I I feel like I'm in the minority because I've long been a Mike LaFleur defender. I, I don't think that he is a, or, or I should say was at this point, uh, was a perfect offensive coordinator with the Jets, not even close. I wouldn't even say that he was, he was probably close to league average in my mind. Um, but I do think that he was kind of made the scapegoat of the situation. He dealt with the worst quarterback playing in the league over the last few seasons, um, an offensive line that, uh, you know, toward, over the, the final few games of the year was just a train wreck. Uh, and, you know, it, was, it wasn't a great situation for him. That's not to say there weren't things he could have done differently. And, of course, I think that he and the entire offense deserves um, criticism for their, their red zone struggles. I think he deserves criticism. Of course, he will take some heat for the, the lack of development of Zach Wilson. I think that also partially falls on him. Overall, though, I think he built a scheme that works. And we've seen that if the Jets even get any competent quarterback play, this system, or that system, I should say, did work. Uh, unfortunately, they just received that very, very infrequently over the last two seasons. Um, so I, I do think that overall, no, I don't think they should have fired Mike LaFleur. But, you know, we'll see who they hire. They, they, they could come out on top of the situation. Yeah, the LaFleur thing was interesting. Remember, I think after week 17, remember, he came out publicly as the first one to say, you know, we made mistakes in organization not having a veteran quarterback in here for Zach Wilson and when to mentor and let him sit behind the guy and learn for a little bit, which I read with Repetition the Tealy's time I said, like, Boy, like, I think he knows he's on thin ice here, and he's just sort of, like, adding his side of the narrative out in case, like, he gets let go. So I did think it was interesting that sort of came, like, right after the season ended. Yeah, I think during LaFleur's entire tenure, he had a tendency to, to say things in front of an open mic that he probably shouldn't say, uh, and that was definitely one of those. I'm not, I have no idea if that would have even contributed to him being let go, but I don't think people in the organization were super happy about him saying that. Uh, I know he had the, the Mackay Beckton comments earlier in the summer that, that, that kind of rubbed some people the wrong way, so... You know, he had a tendency to do that. Yeah, I think the challenge of placing LaFleur is obviously, obviously, you know, they love this system they're in, that they love the thing here, the West Coast Shanahan system here. But the problem is here is, like, you're basically walking into a year next year where Robert Sala and Joe Douglas have to win to get in the playoffs. And if they don't, they might be gone, which it's a tough sell for potential coordinator here with, you know, you might not have a job in a year. I get, I like the fact that they're open to potentially, you know, looking at other candidates here, but, like, do you think it's going to be an easy job for them to fill? No, I think that there's definitely some stuff to like about the job. Obviously, you have a, a very good young core, uh, especially on that offense. you got guys like Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, still have Elijah Moore there. Plus, you have a great defense, which that always helps out the offense if you have a great defense. But like you said, I don't think it's going to be the most appealing coordinator job out there, mostly because of job security. Uh, like you, know, you just mentioned it, but this very well could be a one-and-done job. If, if the offensive coordinator comes in here, and the Jets fail to make the playoffs in 2023, or they they you know fall short of expectations, and everybody's let go. That's it. You're you're here for one year, and you're gone. Uh, and I think you know Woody Johnson could throw as much money at the coordinator as he wants. He could throw as much money at, at the coach. He you know you can you could sell them on hey we got a good young core. But if you can't guarantee that that guy's going to be here for longer than a year, even if the offense isn't bad, that's that's a problem. Uh, and I think unfortunately that that is going to work against the Jets. Not to mention there's just not a ton of like great candidates out there that I think would, would consider offensive coordinator positions right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the names they're linked to already, and I mean, obviously Daryl Bevel is the big name because he's had ties to Sala in that system, but you're looking at some of these other guys like 
Nick Cayley, the Patriot tight end coach. Uh, look at Kevin Batulo, the Eagle quarterback coach here. This feels like a spot where, like, if Bevel doesn't take it, you're looking at maybe somebody a situation where, you know, like, this is somebody who's young looking for their first time being a coordinator, which is basically what you had in LaFleur and just getting a different perspective on it. Right, exactly. And that's, like, the whole thing is that the Jets made a point of emphasis to be like, we want to bring in a veteran offensive coach into, into this room. Even if LaFleur was going to say they were going to do that, the guys that they've brought in so far that we've at least heard them connected to, other than Daryl Bevel, are all inexperienced coaches. You got Kevin Batsulak, like you mentioned, Marcus Brady, who was a CFL coordinator a few years ago uh, before joining the Colts. There's not, and then Nick Haley, of course, who's, who does not have any experience above being a, uh, a position coach in the NFL, or I think any level. It, it's a lot of inexperienced names. Uh, I'm sure there will be more added to the list, but any Jets fan hoping for like a Frank Reich, it's you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen either. And obviously, the big thing I think, well, besides the corner, to figure out here is the quarterback situation here. And I know Woody Johnson went out here and basically was asked, like, "What are you going to do with the quarterback? Like, if you need a quarterback, are you going to do one?" He said, basically, said it like, "I'll do whatever it takes." Yes, there's salary cap, but I'll spend whatever to get a quarterback in here. So, what do you think about what he had to say about that? Because there have been rumors that are floating on the internet that Woody was sort of meddling on behalf of Zach Wilson with the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, I think even Woody, even if Woody does like Zach Wilson and he does believe he could still be a good quarterback, he even sees that that Zach Wilson cannot be the starting quarterback entering 2023. And realistically, he shouldn't be the backup either. Uh, the Jets need to go big game hunting. Essentially, they need to go out there and get a quarterback that can take them to the playoffs. Uh, it's not going to be a Gardner issue. It's not going to be a Jacoby Brissett. It's going to be somebody that is a proven, capable quarterback in the NFL level and somebody that they think that you can insert him onto this roster and they could win 10 games next year. Because Douglas knows it, Salah knows it, their jobs are at stake. If the Jets don't improve and get to the playoffs in 2023, they're likely gone. So I think Woody is just kind of giving them the green light, essentially. Uh, because like you mentioned, it's, there's a salary cap. So it's not like this is you know the MLB where he can just throw a bunch of money out there and, and sign whoever he wants. Like there's a salary cap, so you have to work around the restrictions of the salary cap. But either way, I think the Jets will go big game hunting, whether it's with Derek Carr, or Jimmy Garoppolo, Lamar Jackson, it, it'll be someone like that. Yeah. I think those three, you mentioned probably the three landing candidates here. And I think one thing that helps the Jets here is that like, unlike the coordinator spot where, you know, it could be one year and out, like this is a nice spot for quarterback to land here. You have some weapons in there. You have a friendly system. In most cases here, you have talent around you. They have the ability to spend money. I feel like if you're a looking for a new home, the Jets probably pretty high on the list of teams of vacancies right now. Yeah, oh, for sure. Absolutely. I, I think that the Jets, for for the first time in what feels like a while, are an appealing landing spot for other quarterbacks out there. Not to mention, they have the desire and the the will to go out and get somebody. Uh, and I think that, that definitely plays into it as well. Uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to see who the Jets hire an offensive coordinator and see kind of how that maybe dictates or at least lends uh, or hints, I should say, hints at who they might go after a quarterback. Like, if, for example, if they go out and sign – uh, or, or hire Greg Olson away from the Rams, you know, former Raiders offensive coordinator, that would probably hit that the, the Derek, Raider, Derek Carr is high on their radar. So I, I think that's another thing to, to keep in mind. You sort of touched on the big three here. Obviously, the big name prior to, I think, all of the, the floor shuffling was Jimmy Garoppolo because obviously he's the guy who fits in that system very well. He led the 49ers to within a drive and a half, a drive to a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Now you wonder here, I mean, he's coming off the broken foot. I think he's still a good fit here, but I think a lot would depend on, like, what system they end up putting in if, they want, if he's the guy. 
Right. I, I do think that the LaFleur firing makes it less likely that they bring in uh, Garoppolo. Like, like you mentioned, the, the system that they're running, I think it's going to depend a lot on who they bring in as their offense going there. Right now, I'd say my money would be on Derek Carr. Uh, and I know, you know the red flags are obvious. Uh, you know, he, he has a poor history of playing in cold weather. Uh, people say that his, you know, his personality might not be a great fit for the New York market. He's never won a playoff game, I believe. Like it's obviously the red flags are going to be out there, but at the same time, there's going to be red flags with whoever you're looking for the Jets to add. Like they're not going to find a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen out there. There are red flags with everybody. Derek Carr has proven top 15 quarterback for the vast majority of his career. He's a good quarterback. I, I, I he would be my pick. Uh, Garoppolo is still out there, and I think he's still an interesting option, especially because you wouldn't have to trade for him. You can just sign him. But it seems more likely to me that, that Carr is the uh, you know the top option right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm on your side. I think Carr is most likely to be the quarterback here, barring some shenanigans with Jackson, which we'll get to in a minute here. But, like, I feel like he's very divisive to Jet fan. I mean, I'm in a group chat several Jet fans. I'm the one Carr defender. I feel like there's a lot of people who are anti-Carr here for all the reasons you mentioned. But, like, the way I look at it, I think the situation over there has gotten very toxic for him. And I think the fit with McDaniels has not been very good. And sometimes we've seen how that New England system doesn't work for all quarterbacks here. And, like, I think, you know, some of these guys, breath of fresh air would help. Oh, I totally agree. I, that's why I think the, the McDaniels connection, I think that's why uh, Garoppolo makes more sense for Vegas at this stage. I think McDaniels kind of just wants to get his guy in there, somebody who has familiarity in that system. The car fit just it didn't work. And the Raiders are obviously stuck in that McDaniels contract. They're not, he's not going anywhere. So it's his team now. It's him and, and, and Ziegler's team. So they're going to bring their guy in there. Car is I don't want to say being made the scapegoat is more of they're just looking to move on and looking for a fresh change at the quarterback position. That doesn't mean the car is a bad quarterback. It means that the Raiders want something else. More specifically, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, they want something else. Um, and I think that that's something else would make sense to Jimmy Garoppolo. Carr is a good quarterback. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I would, I'm with you on that. I very much like him on the Jets. There's a lot of Carr haters out there. And I get it. I, I do get it. He's not a perfect quarterback, but He's a good quarterback. I think he can get this team to the playoffs, and that's that's what's most important. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of Kirk Cousins vibes with Derek Carr. I feel like the fans like also turn a lot of yeah. fans off. Definitely, especially with like oh, you know, lack of success in the playoffs and everything. And he's just a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. That's fine. You don't have to have a great quarterback. The Jets, like I think, what's most important about this is that people will be like, oh, you're not going to win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr, and it's like one, you don't know that. <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo was a quarter away from winning the Super Bowl. Two. That's not really your end. I don't think Derek Carr is your end goal if you're the Jets. Your end goal is not signing Derek Carr and be like, all right, he's the quarterback in the next 10 years. That's not your end goal. You bring Derek Carr in to stabilize the roster, stabilize the, the, the recurrent regime, get your team on the fringe of being a contender, and then maybe you pull a 49ers thing where you get a guy like Trey Lance in there. Obviously, that hasn't necessarily worked out for various reasons, but it's a scenario that you can have your stable quarterback, have your stable core foundation in there, and then maybe look at somebody down the road that you can get as a 10-year starter. But you don't have to throw them out there immediately like the Jets did with Zach Wilson. I think Derek Carr gives them that opportunity. It affords them that that luxury of being able to do that. Yeah, let's get to the white whale here, which is Lamar Jackson, because obviously you know there's a lot of uh, uh, smoke coming out of Baltimore that made the Ravens aren't thrilled with him. We had him go on Twitter last week and talk about what his injury actually was, his timetable, why he wasn't going to play. He doesn't go to the playoff game on the road. Team's trying to sign him, and now, on, as of recording here, we have odds books putting out, like, who are the teams that Lamar is going to play for? He's not playing for the Ravens. The Jets are the tops on that board here. I see the connection, obviously. Joe Douglas worked in the Baltimore front office. 
He's familiar with the guys down there. I, what do you think the odds are Lamar could be in play for the Jets? I think it's definitely feasible. Uh, it seems more and more likely as the days go on that, that Lamar's time in Baltimore is, is coming to an end. That's not a guarantee that they're going to move on from him, but I think it is, I don't know if I put it at greater than 50% at this, at this at this stage, but it's definitely higher than it was a week or two ago or even a month ago. Um, you know, the, Obviously, the whole Lamar situation deals, deals with his um, contract situation. He wants a fully guaranteed deal, something similar to what Deshaun Watson received. The Ravens have been very hesitant to do that, at least in previous negotiations. I don't think Lamar budges on that. As for the Ravens, that you know, it would go very much against all of their organizational philosophies if they were to budge on there on that. Which is why I think it's decently likely he's on the move. As for the Jets, you know, they're going to have plenty of competition for this. I know the teams like the Falcons, the Panthers, even the Patriots. I've seen high on these lists. They're all going to be interested. Um, and I think the biggest obstacle with Lamar is is also timing because if the Jets are wanting to go in like all in on Lamar Jackson they can't really have Derek Carr as a fallback option because the Carr situation really needs to be resolved by February 15th that's when the Raiders need to make a decision on him unless he's cut then you could potentially drag it out further but if not if you're trading for him and if there are teams lining up to trade for Carr that's going to be resolved by February 15th I don't think the Lamar Jackson situation is resolved by February 15th so timing is an issue with that but I mean if he's made available the Jets will be interested. They will do what they can to, you know, make a competitive offer. Yeah, I think it is comes down to acquisition costs these quarterbacks as well. Because obviously, Garoppolo is just going to be free agents. Just got spent money to get him and cut a contract offer here. Carr, I wouldn't be surprised he gets cut because he has leverage with the no trade clause, and they don't want to send a place he wants to go. I don't see a team absorbing that contract. He, he could go. Whereas Lamar, you got to put up multiple picks, maybe young players to outbid some of these teams for him. So that's another question I think for Joe. That was also like, I know you have to win right now. It's like. He, does it go against his principle of like, I'm going to bankrupt the entire like draft catalog, like uh, catalog here for one quarterback. Right. It would definitely be a very anti Joe Douglas move, at least from what we've seen to, to trade a ton of draft picks or a ton of draft capital. Now it's an unprecedented situation for him because one, it's a quarterback. And whenever there's a quarterback involved, that is a different situation entirely, but also he's, his back is against the wall. I think he needs, he knows he needs to do what he can to make this team succeed this year. Otherwise, his job like his job is on the line. His job security is at an all-time low, essentially. Uh, and I think he realizes that. So it's an unprecedented situation. He may do unprecedented things as a result. I don't know. But I, I do think that, yeah, I mean, Carr would be more likely at this stage. Also, the timing, like I mentioned before, that that plays a factor. Yeah, it certainly is here. Let's go away from the quarterback for a minute. What else do you think they need to do in the offseason? Because obviously, we saw some weaknesses in this roster down the stretch. For sure, yeah. This is definitely not a perfect roster. Um, I think specifically on defense we could start. Uh, safety is, is definitely a need. You need to get somebody in there that's an upgrade over LaMarcus Joyner. I do think they hold on to Jordan Whitehead, although he can be cut uh, for a, a relatively reasonable price. But you need another free safety in there. Uh, I think that linebacker is definitely something that could be addressed. Quincy Williams and Quan Alexander are both free agents. They're going to have C.J. Mosley next year. He was pretty good this year. Definitely had a bounce-back season but I'd like to get somebody alongside Mosley that is an upgrade or at least a more consistent player than Quincy Williams. Uh, I do think they, they should bring back Quan Alexander because he was pretty good this year, but uh, I, I do think that they definitely could upgrade at linebacker. Definitely need one at safety. As far as offense goes, offensive line is probably the biggest need. You know, that, that's the one where you know, you're looking at that, that first pick in the draft and you're probably saying, all right, this, this is where the Jets add an offensive lineman. There's a lot of questions with that, with that position group right now and not a ton of answers. 
You know Elijah Veritaker could be back. You know Lakin Tomlinson could be back in all likelihood. I don't think they can get out of that contract. Tackle is a complete question mark. We don't know what's going on with Dwayne Brown, with Mekhi Becton. Uh, we don't know if they're going to keep Barrett Tucker there. A lot of question marks there. And then Connor McGovern's a free agent. So depending on what moves they make in, in free agency, if someone like Dwayne Brown retires or if they cut him, that will also open up some more spots. But I think offensive line is your big need there as well as safety and linebacker. Yeah, I agree with all of those here. I think offensive line is worth further discussion here because obviously – they have like a couple of tackle options here. Makai Becton is looked slimmer when last time he was there. He said he's feeling good, and like the rumors, the Jets might t- put him back at left tackle. They have the library talking play any punch anywhere on the line except center, so they he can go pretty much anywhere they want here. Like I don't know if this I a solid like idea to just hand Becton left tackle again considering his injury history. Like probably wonders you know like if assuming the pick is not traded from Lamar Jackson like. If you don't want to pick a left tackle, then you say Becton, Mitchell, okay, you guys are fighting for right tackle. And then we sort of fill in center and at free agency and, and uh, Barry Tucker's a guard. Sure. Yeah, it, it all depends on how they view Barry Tucker. It depends on what they think of Mekhi Becton's reliability. And, of course, it depends on what they do in draft. Uh, they have a ton of flexibility in there now, which is good uh, because, you know, I guess the more flexibility you have. Um, so I, I, it's really interesting to see what they do. I don't know what my preference would be. And I, I also agree with you. I, I don't think that they're going to just be like, Hey, the contact in the left tackle job is yours. Uh, I think that they're very open to drafting a left tackle in the first round. And honestly, it might be my top pick at this stage. Uh, so I don't think that Beckton is necessarily guaranteed anything going into 2023, but it is encouraging that he's looking slimmer, that he appears more motivated. Uh, there's some optimism within the organization about Mackay Beckton. So that's promising, but you know, we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, and obviously they have a lot of stuff to do, including find a way to pay whichever quarterback is coming here. But they only have fifteen million dollars salary cap space, and we know that you can do all sorts of things with salary cap if you want. I've seen the Saints basically treat the cap as monopoly money for years and just get whatever they want done here. But like, you have to make some moves here. Do you like, what do you think could be happening in terms of like somebody people getting cut, maybe getting restructured? What do you think they can play around to make more room on the cap? Yeah, I, I mean, I mentioned Jordan Whitehead earlier. I, I think that it's possible that they that they cut him and move on, but I, I think it's more likely you see guys like Corey Davis and Carl Lawson. They're the first two that immediately come to mind. Lawson, uh, I know he played through injury this past season. He uh, he had multiple Achilles surgeries, which is just it's pretty wild. And the Connor Hughes report that he was barely running before training camp started. That is, you know, it's impressive that he even played all 17 games this season. But he does have a 15 million dollar cap hit. You could pretty much cut him for free. I think it's possible you see a restructure there, but it's also possible that they just kind of cut him and then give more snaps to guys like Bryce Huff, Mike Clemens, Jermaine Johnson. Uh, as for Corey Davis, yeah, that's another situation where I think that he's definitely either going to be restructured or cut. I don't think he comes back on his contract. I believe it's an $11 million cap it, and they can cut him for less than a million in dead cap. Um, so it seems likely that they make a move there. Others, you know, John Franklin Myers, they can potentially cut or, or restructure. Braxton Berrios, I think it would make sense to move on from him. I don't think he's worth his uh, five, six, seven, whatever it's going to be. I think it's like seven or $8 million cap it next year. I don't think he's worth that. So they have flexibility there as well because that's, you know, that's the way Joe Douglas builds rosters. They have a lot of flexibility. They can make a lot of moves, and they're, they're probably going to have to. I would also agree. I would also say Dwayne Brown's probably in that category too. I feel like he's either he's either going to retire or to be cut. I don't think there's any way he's back next year with the Jets. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's fair. I, I do think his dead cap is, I think it's around like five or six million. So it's, it's a higher number than you'd like. Um, but if he retires, it really doesn't matter anyway. 
Uh, I think there's a chance that he is brought back. I don't think it's like a, a formality or a guarantee that he's gone. He also played through injury this year. Um, he basically played, he did play the entire season with one shoulder. So that, that also needs to be taken into account with him. But yeah, he's definitely somebody that they can look to potentially move on from as well. All right. My last question here is this, obviously. We talked about like Woody Johnson earlier. He basically was asked again the question about playoff mandate. He said, I don't have a mandate, but I get the fans are frustrated. Like, like they're optimistic. I talked in the parking lot. I don't, again, I don't know what fans he's talking to, but I, I, I will say, I'll say that. We'll say that for another discussion here. But like knowing his history here and that this year, like next year would be year five for Douglas, year three for Sala. If they miss the playoffs again, it's 13 years in a row. And barring something where it's not their fault, like everybody in the roster is injured, like, do you think they're gone if they miss the playoffs again? Yeah, I'd say they would need a really good reason if, if for, for why they missed the playoffs if they do in 2023 to be back. Uh, I, I think that the, even though Woody Johnson hasn't come out and specifically said, hey, here's a playoff mandate, which, by the way, I agree with. I don't think that playoff mandates are a, a thing that should exist. Uh, there's always context to every situation. Like if, like you said, if they get, go out and get Derek Carr, Derek Carr gets hurt in the preseason, and then they finish 9-8, it's hard to be like, okay, well, now everybody should be fired because they play with a backup quarterback the entire year. So, obviously, there's context to everything. But, assuming that the roster is healthy enough, right? Every year, everybody gets injuries, but healthy enough, and they miss the playoffs, say they finish, you know, 8-9, and 9-8, nine, nine and eight, whatever it is, yeah, I think that there's a good chance that, that the Jets do decide to start over. Now, it all depends on the context. It's hard to even, you know, sit here now and, and say what's going to happen you know, 10 months from now, 11 months from now, but... The Jets need to see signs of improvement. Uh, more than just signs of improvement, they need to see actual improvement. They need to see this team make the playoffs. And if they don't, yeah, I, I think that, that people's jobs are going to be on the line, even if Woody Johnson hasn't specifically said that. Yeah, I mean, that plus the fact that, you know, what's going on it teams like Cincinnati, where they go from, like, first in the draft the Super Bowl in two years, the Jaguars this year, the Giants, for crying out loud, with Brian Dale, like one of the worst routes in the league from Joe Judge and taking at least a divisional round team, like, I started at some point ways to say here, hey, why is it taking me 13 years to get back to the playoffs? Exactly. You, you rebuild in the NFL. I, I know that the you know the Joe Douglas way is kind of a slow build, just kind of construct the core and 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 hopefully uh, you know just keep the cap situation good, keep your draft draft assets good. But I, I know that like I know that that's his way of building a roster. But you need to see results in the field. I think that Joe Douglas has done a lot of good for the organization, but he's he's missed on quarterback, and I think that's the big thing. There's no reason that this Jets roster with a competent quarterback should not make the playoffs in 2023. And if they don't, yeah, people's jobs will be on the line, and, and they should be. Absolutely, Justin. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, people follow social media, keep up with some of your coverage for the Jet Press. Sure, man. Yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Justin T. Freeze. You can follow the Jet Press at, Jet, at the Jet Press on Twitter. Uh, we also just came out with a Jet Press podcast, which is very fun. So you can find that on YouTube, on our YouTube page, the Jet Press, and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Absolutely. Be sure to check that out, Justin. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on, Mike. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks for divisional weekend here. The last, the biggest weekend left of the NFL season. Four games being played here. Joining me today, a guy whose team I thought should be playing on this weekend, but they end up losing, unfortunately. Joey Castellano is back. Joey, how are you? Hey, Mike. How's it going? Uh, yeah, I agree. I thought they would be, but, you know, classic Vikings, so 
Yeah, that is that is the Vikings pretty much here. And I mean, we all watched the game. We went to go blow by blow here. And I will say, I talk about the top here. Kirk Cousins did one stupid thing this game, which was the uh, check down throw on the fourth and eight. But this game was lost, in my opinion. I feel like you agree with me that because they could not do a thing defensively, Minnesota. Yeah, uh, defense, which was the problem all year and why everyone basically is questioning them. Uh, the defense is the problem. Uh, you have the offense putting up high numbers every week, um, and the defense gives up probably just as much every week. So we were just able to get out of the games with the you know the lucky final drives that got us out of those games during the season, and obviously now in the playoffs when it mattered. Obviously, we got Kirk Cousins in the whole bay. You know, just another year we're going to hear about the choke job and this and that, and you know the Vikings are frauds. But at the start, I guess the off season, I think they're going to overhaul the whole defense. Um, and I think mainly the offensive pieces should be the same, except for a few minor things like Madison going. Um, Thielen, I'm not sure what they're going to do because they owe him a pretty decent amount of money, and I mean, he kind of lost a step this year. So it's a number three, maybe, but you'd have to restructure his contract significantly. Um, so, like, little pieces, I think, will overall go on the offense, but um, I think the defense is going to get a complete overhaul. I mean, Donatel, the coordinator, he's got to go. Everyone's been calling for him in Minnesota all year. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, it was a rough game to watch. Um, and, obviously, that final drive with Kirk Cousins with the check down, I know a lot of people are blaming it on that. Um, I mean, we shouldn't have been in that situation. I mean, making Daniel Jones look like Joe Montana or you know, <laughs> one of the top quarterbacks in the league. So it is what it is. Uh kind of annoying upsetting because a 13 win season just goes to waste it feels like but what what, what are you gonna do yeah what are you gonna do yeah i'm fascinated to see how they attack the austin here considering like as of right now they're like 25 million over the salary cap and i'm looking at some of their big names on especially on defense here i feel like, a, I feel like guys like zary smith eric kendrick's gonna be easy cuts because i feel like they're gonna just save a ton of money and kendrick especially got like got torched in that game yeah um I don't know about Sedarius. I, 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 yeah, I've been hearing them talking about you know Eric Hendricks, which I don't really want to lose him. Um, he didn't have a good game, but I mean he's usually pretty good, and I really like him a lot. So also talking about Harrison Smith, which I think I really don't want that because he's like the heart and soul of that Vikings defense. But they're talking about all these big names on the defensive side that might be going because, like you said, he's cut salary. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know. Probably in a defense going to take a step back. I don't know. It's more more the system that they were playing in that cover two that is the issue with Donatel. Um, so I think he just needs to go. And if they could bring someone in, the right person for the job. Unfortunately, we can't keep the players. But if you know we get the right system, I think they could even improve even with losing a couple of big pieces. Yeah, that's for sure. Here, let's get to this weekend here, divisional round here. Obviously, we know the four games here. I feel like Sunday is more compelling than Saturday, definitely. I feel like the games are much tighter on Sunday. I feel like the Saturday games have a chance to either be good or very bad. Like, how do you feel about these games? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Sunday's the the prime part of the slate. I think they did that on purpose as far as, as, far as scheduling. Um, but I honestly think uh, the Saturday games could be good as well. Just you know, When you look at them on the broad scale, you, you would definitely think the Sunday games are going to be very good. Yeah, because I'm looking at like the points spread alone tell you it. Like both games on Sunday and Saturday, double digit favorite are, are, are over a touchdown favorites here. And Sunday the spreads I think are minus five, minus three and a half. And 
the match has the star power. I feel like it's on Sunday also, aside from Mahomes. Right. Yeah. No, I uh, I agree. Definitely 100 percent on that. All right. Um. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. No, no. I was just gonna say. I mean, you got the Giants at least on Saturday, which will you know for our region will be good. And I mean, the Jaguars been showing some fight. I mean, that, that comeback last week was pretty awesome. Um, but I mean, they're playing the Chiefs now in Mahomes. I think it's a whole different animal in itself. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens here. Let's get to the pick, which is why you're here. Our good friend Phil Fred, our softball team, was here last week. He went three, two, and one. His wins were the 49ers laying a nine and a half, the Jags getting two and a half, the Giants getting the three. He lost on the Bills laying a twelve and a half, and the Bucks getting a two and a half on Monday night. We pushed on the Bengal game minus seven because we we set that line. Before, we made the picks before Lamar was declared out. The line moved up since then. I also went three, two, and one. Same picks on the 49ers and Jaguars. I won on the Cowboys laying a two and a half. Lost on the All Bills. Right. Lost on your guys. And I pushed on Baltimore. So three, two, and one for each of us. So solid start to the playoffs. Hey, I'm sorry you took a L with my team. <laughs> yeah. I felt very confident. I had the same game parlay going with the Vikings, too. I always felt very good. But unfortunately, we know what happened. Yeah. So on the year, the challenger team is 28-30-2. I'm 27-31-2, so it's neck and neck heading into this week. We're going to go through each game one at a time here. So we're going to start on Saturday afternoon at 4.30 on NBC. We're going to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars heading to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Chiefs favored by 8.5 points, game at 4.30. Who are you taking, Joey? Um, uh, as much as I want to take the Jaguars, I think. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to go with the Jaguars plus the eight and a half. Um, Mahomes hasn't been a good, um, doesn't have a good record against the spread as like a plus seven um, on, uh, favorite. So, I think I'm. I'll take the points. Um, I just think the Chiefs no shot. <laughs> Jaguars <laughs> win, but I'll I'll just take the points. Yeah, I'm with you there. I like the points in this game with the Jags. I feel like they're playing well down the stretch. They played well in Kansas City the first time around. I think they lost by 10 here. And Kansas City is in a spot where they tend to, you know, let these games get closer than they need to be. I could see this being, you know, they're up 14 late. They get a touchdown, get the backdoor car where they win by seven. I could see that happening. Exactly. That's kind of how I was looking at it. All right. Next up here, Giants-Eagles Saturday night, 8-15 on Fox. The Eagles are laying seven and a half right now. Where are you going this game? This one was the tough one for me. I, I've been going back and forth. I like the coaching on day balls then. Um, so, I mean, getting over a touchdown, I'll just take the points on that one too. Um, so I'll take the Giants with the points. Um, I think it's, I hope, hopefully it will be a close game for all our sake. Um, and I, yeah, I've been going back and forth on that one. Yeah. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to take the points of the Giants here. I do think the thing that makes me go that way is A, you get in the hook, which is great on this game, and B, we don't know if Jalen Hurts is healthy. We know he was struggling that last game that they played. The Giants didn't play anybody. But if he's not healthy, I guess he needs to be a lot closer than people think it will be. If he if he's healthy, it's a blowout. But at this point of the week, I'll take the points. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And also, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the Eagles, too, and Sirianni. So we'll see what happens. Absolutely. I'm going out to Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock on CBS. Bengals, Bills, the game that never got completed the first time around due to the Damar Hamlin situation. Bills laying five at home. Who are you taking, Joey? I'm going to take the Bengals with five. Um, game would have happened a few weeks ago. Uh, Bengals were looking really good. Um, so, I mean, I'll just take the five points there. Um, I do like the Bengals. Um, probably the best out of the AFC. I don't know. I have a soft spot for them. Um, I, like, I love Joe Burrow. Um, but, yeah, I'll take the five points um, based on what happened before the DeMar Hamlin thing. Um, 
they were kind of dominating the game. Obviously, it was only five minutes or so, but they did look really good out of the game. So I'll take the point. Yeah, I'm going to go against you. So I'm going to take the Bills laying the five. It's a tricky number here, but I do think that they got the hiccups out of their system last week against the Dolphins. I think they came out, you know, kind of, you know, we're goofing around if they went up 17 nothing. We're doing ridiculous things. They're going to be much more locked in here. And you hear all week, all the complaint from Cincinnati about how we got screwed. We should have had a chance to get home field. I feel that's a big motivation for the Bills here to come out and put a statement up. You're like, no, you didn't. You didn't deserve home field. We deserved it. And I think they're going to take care of business here. So I disagree with you on that one. All right. I mean, I can't argue with your point, but yeah, we agree to disagree. All right. Last but not least here, Cowboys at the 49ers, 640 on Fox on Sunday. 49ers laying three and a half. This Giants dropped a half a point since it opened here. Who are you taking this game? I'm going to take the Niners minus the point. Um, there's just too much star power on that team. Um, Brock Purdy doesn't really have to do that much. I was kind of saying all year, you know, for the second half of the year, I've been kind of saying, you know, he's going to, you know, cost them eventually or in the playoffs there's going to be a lot of pressure on him but honestly he could dump it five yards to Debo McCaffrey or Kittle or someone and they'll take it to the house so <laughs> he doesn't really have to do too much with that star power on that team so I'll take the minus three and a half in Dallas also um, Tom Brady's looked horrible the other night I mean guys wide open he's like throwing his five feet short so I think this, this match will be a little different for the Dallas defense so I'll take the point uh, I'll take uh, minus the point with the Niners yeah, I'm going to agree with you here. Make it three out of four. We agree on here with the Niners. I think they're a much better team. I think right now they are the most complete team in the league with the quarterback playing very well. And I think one thing is not getting enough attention this game is the fact that they have two extra days of rest compared to the Cowboys. because They play on Saturday and Dallas played on Monday. I'm sure Dallas is not thrilled about that, but I'm laying a small number here. I think this is, I want to have to see Dallas go on the road in a big spot and win a, and win a game against a quality team like this. I mean, Tampa was not a real playoff team. This is a Super Bowl potential winner here. And the 49ers are, I think, the better team here. I feel like Dallas obviously regrets the Giants winning because they have a much better shot against Philly than they would have here. But So I'm with you. I think the Niners. Yeah, I agree too. So uh, really quick, really quick. Who's your uh, Super Bowl prediction? Yeah, Super Bowl prediction right now, I think I have 49ers Bills to start of the playoffs. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say like 49ers. I want the Bengals. So I'll just go with my rooting interest at this point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to reset the picks here. Uh, Joey's gone with the Jaguars getting eight and a half in Kansas City on Saturday. The Giants getting seven and a half against the Eagles on Saturday night. The Bengals getting five in Buffalo on Sunday. Three hundred dollars for Joey and the 49ers is long favorite laying three and a half. My picks: family play on the both the Jaguars and the Giants. We went heads up on the Bill Bailey. I laid the five with the Bills. Family play on the 49ers. Those are our picks for divisional weekend. Coming up next week, I'm going to be joined by. Uh, another uh, friend of ours, Phil Lombardo, is coming on here to do the, the championship game picks. We'll see if his Giants are actually there. Although, considering the track record here, you wonder maybe if the jinx is in because now that we booked him before the Giants' result is in. Yeah, hopefully uh, he'll have. Uh, hopefully he'll be in a better mood than I am. <laughs> yeah, there's a chance. I think there's like a. I give him about like a twenty percent chance to win that game, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, yeah, like we, we said in the pick, I, I like him with the points for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be a close game. I think they actually have a good chance of winning, and they're hot right now. Yeah, they are hot, and they, the most dangerous team in the league is when they're playing with house money. They have nothing but house money on their side right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of people use the term house money. Um, I, it is what it is. I mean, 
they got a good coaching. I mean, I guess you could say they're ahead of schedule. I mean, you never know. You never know, Joe. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. And last week, Netflix dropped the first batch of episodes for Breakpoint, the docuseries from the creators of of Drive Survive, the show that's helped make Formula One very popular worldwide. They follow tennis players throughout the big events of the 2022 season. I'm a big tennis guy, as you guys know. I was thrilled when they announced that they were doing this because I feel like this series offers an opportunity to showcase some of the sport's most interesting personalities. Piece of the format because, you know, outside the Grand Slams, most people don't really care about tennis. Seeing how these players are going outside the slams, obviously the big storylines at the slams, this should help grow the game. I took a peek at the first episode for you guys. Six days during the 2022 Australian Open and focuses on Nick Kyrgios, from, who is from Australia. The more talented players on the tour, but someone also known for his temper. And obviously we get the temper because he has a meltdown against Neil Medvedev in the second round when he loses in singles. I think it was certainly an interesting choice to start off with Kyrgios. Big name in tennis circles, not as much the mainstream audience, but I think it paid off because we got to see some of the tournament from his perspective and see his life leading into the tournament. A lot of fun here on Kyrgios. Get some good backstory on him, what drives him off the court, on the court. That was fun. It was also fun to watch his run with Thanasi Kokinakis, one of his best friends from Australia. See them make a run to the men's doubles title. It shows the fun, more of the fun side of Kyrgios we really get to see. I mean, we get to see them, you know, hanging out, playing shuffleboard in the players' lounge being, you know, fun, seeing, like, how they got to know each other. A lot of fun to see. And it was also great to see the double spotlight because some of the tennis here, the mainstream fans, they think, oh, tennis is singles. You watch the, ten- the singles matches at all the Grand Slams. There's also doubles tournaments at every tournament. There's a lot of fun to see the double circuit here, and seeing this get some spotlight was definitely very interesting here. The way Necklace is releasing this show, there are two batches of five episodes. The first five... Start taking from the beginning of 2022 through the French Open route. Now, the second five coming in June. This is a good watch for the sports fans. Since you caught the tennis ball during the US Open, I'm excited to get to episode two. We're going to go, that one's going to go into the whole Novak Djokovic deportation saga with the vaccines and follows the race to, to win the tournament without him because he's lorded over that field. A lot of fun. I think you should definitely check us out if you are into the world of tennis or getting into it at all. With that, I want to end the show for the week. I want to thank my guest, Justin Free, for coming on. Having a nice conversation about the Jets. Also, Joey Castellano for doing the divisional round NFL picks. Or stuff like this podcast, including my look at the Australian Open. I previewed the tournament uh, on the blog last week. Check it out over, over at justonthesoftbrain.wordpress.com. Look at the Sky Guys podcast. Our episode three recap of season two of The Bad Batch is in the podcast feed now. The episode was phenomenal. Everyone, you guys watched the episode. Check us out afterwards. The next episode is coming out here in the Sky Guys. We're going to talk about that and react to the Mandalorian trailer adopt during the Monday Night Football game as the cow- with the Cowboys and Bucks. So I'm going to say you want that stuff? Subscribe to the Sky Guys feed. Same podcast platforms at the top of the show. So follow me on Twitter, mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week on the pack, we're going to get you ready for the conference championship games. And grab close to Super Bowl. We'll do some picks for those and more. Until you know the better week than Chargers fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.